Well, good morning. Good to have you here. Glad that you joined us on this Memorial Day. And really, as uh, we declared already, just thankful for the freedom that we have, knowing that we may be tempted to take it for granted, but those who have paid the price and families of those who have paid the price will never forget or take for granted the freedom that we have at the cost of the lives of many. So grateful for that and grateful for all who have served our country in that way. The last five weeks, we have been looking at this concept from 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3 of disciples who make disciples. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we are going to, this morning, be looking at the closing verses in chapter 3. The idea of disciples making disciples is rooted in the understanding that God has always intended to fill the earth with his glory. And that's not abstract, that is very people driven in the sense that the way the earth is filled with the glory is by disciples, followers of Jesus who will make disciples, followers of Jesus who will help other people become followers of Jesus. The three activities, this is all by way of review, just to catch us up, of disciple making is first that we share the gospel. We cannot make disciples unless there is a sharing of the gospel, whether it happens in the grocery line like we heard earlier, or at work, over a lunch, after a workout, in some concept, when the Lord gives you opportunity, that you would speak the gospel. Because understand, it is your responsibility to get people saved. Okay, not true. Not true. Just making sure you're with me because you're staring at me right now. That is not true. What is your responsibility? Share the gospel. It is 100% the Lord's work whether the light will come on because people we share the gospel with are dead in their sins. So it will only be by God's grace that they would hear and believe and be born again. Our privileged role in that is being ones who proclaim the gospel. And as by God's grace people believe, then the second work of disciple making is helping them grow in their faith, to grow in truth and grow in love. And as then they grow, to then equip them to become a multiplier themselves. The Bible says the heaven declares the glory of God. In other words, God often uses the physical to display the spiritual. That's true in disciple making as well. Think about how a child is born and then they must grow up and mature in knowledge and in body and in relationship and then they multiply. In the context of God's creation of marriage, a man and a woman being together, that they would then have children who would then grow up and mature physically and relationally. And then husband and wife, they would, by God's grace, multiply. And then, you see what I'm saying? The physical, the context of the physical family, don't miss this. It's a great gift of God to us, but it's a reflection of something greater. It's a reflection of what's intended to happen spiritually. That we, who by God's grace have been born again, are to grow up. 
And then by his work in and through us, that we would multiply children who would be born again, who would grow up and multiply. So this is the work of disciple making. When Paul speaks about it to the Thessalonians here in chapter 3, this is where we finished last week. I was supremely uh, challenged by this statement, more and more so actually as I've meditated upon it. Verse 8 there in chapter 3, if you want to look at it, says this, for now we really live if you stand firm in the faith. We being Paul and Silas, those who went and took the gospel to them, he says, we really live if you Thessalonians stand firm in the Lord. Now, I have been struck by that, and the more I've meditated upon it, because every single one of us this morning have a sentence that goes like this. Man, I'm really living when... And then you fill it in. When are you really living? I'm really challenged by Paul who goes, I'm really living when my spiritual children are standing firm in the Lord. Because lots of us replace it differently. I'm really living when I'm making buckets of money. I'm really living when I'm on the path to early retirement. I'm really living when I'm blessed with good health and being involved in the stuff that I love. You see what I'm saying? Or if you're, I mean, it's all over our culture. If you're selling beer, when are you really living? When you're hanging out with friends and having fun or sitting by the lake with the sun going down and a campfire and you're having a cold beer and then they're saying, that doesn't get any better than than this, right? What are they saying? You're really living when that's happening. So uh, you're looking a little stone face at me. I wonder, no, I don't wonder. Every single one of you can fill it in. I just wonder how you'd fill it in. When would you define, man, I'm really living when I'm catching big fish. I'm really living when I'm driving the ball long and straight in my putting games. I'm really living. Really living when I'm beating Wayne Mangum in tennis. That's when I'm really living. How do you you fill that in? And the reason I want to challenge us with that is because this. How we really think of when we're really living determines probably what we multiply. I've been struck. Everybody multiplies. In some sense, everybody reproduces, impacts other people that they go, yeah. some of us just multiply complacency. Or we multiply a love for activity. Or we multiply a love for movies or money. We multiply. We love or we multiply a love for hunting. And, and because we love hunting, other people love hunting. You see what I'm saying? Every single one of you are multiplying. It's just wonder. What are you multiplying? Love for music? Or are you multiplying a love for Jesus? You know because how you fill in that phrase. I'm really living when... This would be great lunchtime conversation for you. I'm really living when... Really? Because I think it seems like the way you live, you're really living when... Paul says, I'm really living when you stand firm in your faith. And it comes out, not, in, not only in what he multiplies, but what he prays for. 
Because chapter 3 ends with a prayer that Paul is praying for the Thessalonians. And I don't want us to dismiss it. Because I always learn something about people when I pray with them. You ever think about that? When people pray, what comes out of their mouth, you learn what they love and who they love and what's really important to them. Because we pray about, we tend to pray about stuff that we, that we care about. We pray about what we care about. So I want us to look very closely this morning at Paul's prayer and find out, okay, what's he really love? What's he really care? I, I gives us a hint when he says, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Verse 9, I'm going to read through the prayer through the end of the chapter. You listen. Man, what's Paul love? What's he really live for? For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As night and day, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What's he love? And he loves his kids, his spiritual kids. He, he loves those who have come to faith in Jesus through him. He, he loves the fact that they are growing and he wants them to keep growing. What I think flows out of him is this obvious thankfulness for the joy-filled privilege. He's thankful for the joy-filled privilege of being an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. When he begins his prayer, and you start reading almost all of his letters, what comes out of him is this thanksgiving to God for their faith and for their growing in their faith, for the incredible privilege of being an instrument of God in people's lives. Thank you for the joy-filled privilege. Uh, go back to verse 9. This is where I took this from. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? You see, when it comes to disciple making, there's probably a couple reactions in the room. We've been doing this for, like I said, five weeks now. Uh, even if this is your first week, there's probably... Two completely different reactions to disciple-making. Some of you are with Paul going, man, that, that is a joy-filled privilege. And some of you are kind of going, ah, man, I, I know I should. You're just pounding, just piling guilt on me for, I, I know I need to do this. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just I got so much, another thing to put into my life. See, is it duty or is it? joy-filled, joy-saturated privilege. How we think about it makes all the difference in the world. If I think disciple-making, the pouring out of my life into someone else is a privilege, that changes everything. 
versus a duty. If I consider it a blessing, like I think my, my family is a blessing, like I think my job is a blessing, like I think my health is a blessing, if I put disciple-making in the blessing category, then it's not burdensome. It's work. I'm not saying it's not work. It's not, it's not duty. It's not like taking out the trash. It's a joy-filled. So just kind of take a temperature of your heart right now. When you think about being a disciple who makes a disciple. Does that fall in the blessing category? Or does that fall in the, uh, I know I should do it category? Before Paul goes to Thessalonica, and he does in Thessalonica what he did there, he had been in a city called Philippi. And in Philippi, he had been thrown into prison for what he had done, and then he had been miraculously delivered from prison for, uh, by God. And, and then the Philippian jailer, you may remember, he comes to Christ. But then he goes to Thessalonica, and there he has to escape at night to avoid uh, persecution again. So in the midst of all of that hard, he, what's he still say? What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy? Is that the way you would think about being thrown into prison? Is that what you think about being persecuted? Ah, yeah, what thanks, man. This is great joy. You catching that? When he writes the Philippians, he says this. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. See, there's this Old Testament picture here that you and I don't necessarily get. But a Jewish person reading this would have had this picture of an Old Testament priest honoring God and worshiping God on behalf of the people by taking a pitcher filled with liquid and pouring it out. It would almost seem like wasting it because it's not serving any practical good, but it is a pouring it out as a drink offering of worship to God. Now, in this picture that Paul is painting here, the liquid in the picture is what? It's his life. And he is saying, it is my incredible, joy-filled privilege to take my life and Pour it out, not as a waste, but so that your faith, Philippians, would be birthed. Because you know, when he went to Philippi, there was no faith. No one trusted in Jesus. And he poured his life out, and from that ground came faith. And he kept pouring his life out, and that faith that was born began to grow. It's like, it's like this. It's not very Hebrew, but uh, we relate to this. It's like he's gone, here's my life. And here's your faith. And it's my privilege to take my life and to pour it out so that your faith would be born and would grow. So that what would happen? As Paul did this, what did, he, what did he want to happen? He wanted them to go, oh, now as I've been poured into, let me 
pour myself out. And as people continue to pour in me, let me pour myself out. You see that? Just don't be this guy. What I mean, this guy. The one who ends the pouring. Who goes, oh, I love when people pour into me. And I love my life. And I love my church. And I love my faith. But, oh, pour myself out. No, just pour into me. Paul's gone. I don't do this because it's duty. I do this because there's no greater privilege. Where do you get that from? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when, when Jesus came to this earth, he saw the cross. He saw the shame that it would bring. But he saw people who needed forgiveness, to be needed to be reconciled to God. And so he did not get fixated upon all the shame of the cross, the pain of the cross. He got fixated on the joy. And what was the joy? The joy of honoring God, the joy of glorifying the Father as people would believe in him and be born again so that the joy would be in seeing the earth filled with the glory of God because of his willingness to pour himself out on the cross. So he didn't see the cross and get stopped there. He saw the joy beyond it. And he said, because I see the joy beyond it, I will endure the cross. I'll despise its shame. So that he poured himself out into the disciples. And he said, now go therefore and make disciples. You see it? It's the privilege. It's actually the privilege of being like Jesus. To say, I'm going to be poured out as he was poured out. So that I could be involved in the process of pouring myself into the lives of others. That's the joy-filled privilege. And if we get it, it's going to impact how we pray. And if we see it as duty, it'll change how we pray. Because he sees it as privilege, could you look there in verse 10? Because he sees it as privilege, what does he want to happen? He says it in 10 and he says it again in 11. What's he want to happen? We night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may See your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. Why does he want to be with them? Why? So that he could have greater opportunity to invest in them some more. See, when we see it as joy-filled privilege, our thanksgiving will give way to Lord... Give me more opportunities to invest in others. That's what we want if it's a joy-filled privilege, right? 
If it's a duty, then, oh, Lord, keep me away from all those needy people in my life. And you meet somebody and go, oh, needy, needy, get away, needy. But if I see it as a joy-filled privilege to have my life poured out, then what do I want? More opportunities. Right? If you love something, you want to do it more. Last week, we hosted with uh, some folks who lead the family group with us, two of our uh, newly married family group. And we're out on the river. And I was like, all right, who wants to water ski? Who wants to tube? And, and at least the people on my boat were like, eh, eh, eh. They want to do it. I was like, really? Yeah, well, come on. You're, I, I thought you were just being polite. No, who would you like to go? Mm, no. I thought, man, when I, when I first learned to water ski, and I was with some folks in the boat, and they go, hey, anybody want to go? I, I know in me was going on this battle. Me, 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 me. And my mom was saying, let others go first. So I was like, mm, okay, me. Everybody had like three seconds. Okay, me. And it was like, okay, I should let somebody else go, but I don't really want to let somebody else go. I, go. I would like to go again. In fact, if you all could go home, I could do this all day. <laughs> Isn't that the way about, you feel about stuff that you love? Maybe, maybe you don't love water sports. Like, I love water sports. I was like, yeah, I can do this all day. I could help other people enjoy it all day because I absolutely enjoy it. It was time to go in. We had a whole bunch of pizza coming. And then somebody was like, oh, let me try this new tube thing you got. And I was like, yeah, I, I'd be glad to do that. They said, pizza's here. I, I, I can wait because I actually love doing this more than I like pizza. Now, if we were having... Sushi, we'd have had to do that first. But because if it's sushi, then I can always eat more sushi. You get the point? If something's a privilege, what do you want? More, right? That's the way Paul saw it. Man, I want to get back. I want to be with you. I'm praying like mad. God, help me get back. Because... This is not duty. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it costs me energy and time and family. But no greater privilege than to pour my life out for others. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Sometimes I can get sour and go, why didn't somebody else do this? And I go, what are you, an idiot? How in the world can you be complaining about the, the privilege to pour your life into somebody else? When I see it as a privilege, I want more opportunity. It's true about everything we love in life, and it's true about disciple making. You know what's tr not true, though, about disciple making? I don't have to listen to my mama. Because she would say, let somebody else go first. In disciple making, you don't have to let somebody else go first. You can go, I want to go. I want to keep going. I want to do it all day. That's, that's the privilege. Because there will never, ever be, I'd like to make disciples. Mm. There's really nothing to do. Why is that? Because we are surrounded by people who do not yet fill the earth with the glory of God. Either they don't know Christ or they're just infants in Christ or they're not infants in Christ, but they haven't begun to 
multiply themselves yet. They've grown up, but they haven't started to do this. They've been poured into, but they haven't poured. See, in other words, are you not surrounded? I am. And you live where I live. So you are surrounded by people who either don't know Jesus, need to grow up in Jesus, and need to learn to multiply. Yes? Say it with me. Yes, yes. So is there opportunity? Yes, there is so much opportunity. And if, we, if we'll get on the mindset, man, this is a joy-filled privilege, then I don't need to go, oh, no, no, somebody else. We've got limited time. We've got, we only have like two hours. We've got seven people who want to do this. So everybody gets their 14 minutes. Ah, I hate that. That's not true about disciple making. So can I give you a couple reminders of like right now opportunities? How about that one? Right now, an opportunity is for more of you, 22 of you, roughly, (laughs) who would say, I will open up my front yard for disciple making. That's an opportunity. Now, some of you go, I don't have a front yard. Okay, then this isn't an opportunity for you. Some of you have a front yard, you go, but I really like my grass. It's going to kill my grass. So let me give you the scripture. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Huh? Does that fit? Yes, that fits. So a guy says to me between first hour and second hour, he says, it's like I'm mowing my grass. Seriously, I'm mowing my grass and I'm thinking about what could happen here. It's like God's field. That's a good perspective. It's like holy ground. And I get to mow it. I was like, yeah, that's too far. That's too far. I'm not down with it, and it's my privilege to mow it. It'd be my privilege if you mowed it. That'd be awesome. But what can happen on that grass? Who cares about the grass? It's going to die. Whoever came up with the, that our lawn should be filled with the hardest thing to grow in Florida. I don't know, but they were brilliant because they were selling stuff. But who cares about it? It's going to fade away going to wither but there's something that could happen on your front yard that would never and so hey man just let your grass be poured out seriously let your grass be poured out for the sake of disciple making opportunity here's one that lots goes on that Many of you don't know. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Do you know that on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, all through the school year, we have what we call TESOL, teaching English to speakers of other languages. And it's simply a doorway that all sorts of international nations come to our church saying, will you teach me English? And we go, we certainly will as we teach you about God in English. And the opportunities abound. Those are just the Tuesday night classes. And only two people in each of those groups are disciples of Jesus of CFC. The rest are folks who are here to learn English as we get to teach them about God in English. That's Tuesday night. And then Wednesday morning, it happens all over again. That's a disciple-making 
opportunity. Man, that is, isn't that incredible? All right, now, I, uh, can I have your eyes for a second? Tell you the coolest thing, Thursday night service. I'm showing these slides, Thursday night service, and <clears throat> there's some, some couple internationals on like the third row, and they start whispering, I'm not sure really what's going on in the service. Afterwards, the guy comes and grabs me, and he says, man, I, I just want you to know that I was one of them in those pictures. I'm from Brazil, and I came here, and I've been learning English, and I have a Brazilian church right here in Mandarin, and this buddy right here is my disciple. And, and watch, he says, and now our schedule is such that my Thursday night is open, and my desire is that I'll come on Thursday night, and you're going to pour into me, and then I'm going to go and pour into them. That's really living. That's, man, that's as sweet as it gets. It's an opportunity. And because and, uh, we need some more of these folks. We need some more of the, the twos who will say, I'll give up Tuesday night and, Wednesday, and some preparation for when we kick it off again in the fall for teaching English to speakers of other languages. If you want to be a part of that, let us know. You don't have to let other people go first. And then I talked about this last week, but these DX groups that we will be launching as well in the fall, DX group are simply gender-specific groups, three or four guys or three or four girls together with a very specific identified disciple or who the goal is, look up here, don't miss this. Because if you miss this, <clears throat> you're going to misunderstand. These are not support groups. These are not family groups. These are DX groups. These are a discipleship guy or gal pouring his life for 18 months into three or four other folks who will intentionally then, after 18 months, go and pour their lives in others. If you don't want to be this guy, we're not going to put you with this guy. No offense. But this is intended to happen for this. You, you, you tracking with me? That's this whole concept of be one, make one, as one. Be a disciple who makes a disciple as a disciple. It's DX. It's discipleship multiplication. It's intended to multiply. And so that's, if you're not there yet, if you're not ready to multiply, then there's plenty of other opportunities for you to grow. But the whole point of these groups is going to go, I know that I'm going to be poured into so that I can pour out. Is it a privilege? Man, it's a privilege. When it's a privilege, hard, give me more Opportunities, more opportunities to share the gospel, more opportunities to help other people who need to grow in faith and love to help them grow up, more opportunities to help equip them to become multipliers themselves. What an incredible privilege. And it comes out in what we pray. Whether we love it or whether we do it as duty, whether we want more opportunities, we want to protect our lives. And I'm just, I'm, I'm going to, I've done it, I just want to acknowledge again. Sometimes we lose perspective. Sometimes I lose perspective. And it feels like work. 
feels like checking a box. And I go, does it really make a difference? Am I just wasting my time? Am I just pouring my life out and no faith is growing? And I go, Lord, the pouring out of my life, that's my part. The faith growing in others, that's your part. I'm going to do my part trusting you'll do your part. He wanted to go to them because he says, I'm praying most earnestly that we may see your face and that we may complete what is lacking in your faith. Did you catch that? In other words, it wasn't just hang out. It was, I want to be with you. This is why he said it in Philippians 2.17. I wanted you to see it. I want to be with you for the helping of the building up of your faith. That faith would be born and faith would be built and faith would be multiplied to complete what is lacking in your faith. In other words, I really live when you're standing firm in your faith. I want you, Lord, use me to lead people to maturity, to be complete in their faith. Real quick, you know this. When we talk about leading people to maturity, it's a journey. It begins where everybody is spiritually dead, but as we have the privilege to share the gospel with them and they hear and by God's grace, they repent to believe and receive. They move from this spiritual condition of being in the coffin into the crib where the Bible identifies we are infants in Christ. So declaring the gospel so that people repent, believe, and receive is part of disciple making, but it's not all of it because the goal is to lead to maturity. The first step is being born, but that's not the last step. It's just the first step. The second step is moving from from the crib, the CR, to the table so that as a child moves from a crib to a big boy seat at the table, so we are to grow up in our faith, to grow up in truth, the content of our faith, and to grow up in love, the quality of our relationships. But then to to get up, to move from the table to what we simply call the stove, where we get up and we say, I'm going to pour my life out into others who will pour their lives into others. I'm going to invest my life. That's moving folks to maturity. And the two main parts, just always want you to, maturity looks like this. Maturity is in understanding the content of our faith. The, the, what does the Bible say about our faith? What is true and what is not true? It is, maturity is knowing truth. And so when I began this morning, I said, thank you for being here. I wasn't just being polite and just filling time. I am genuinely thankful every time you choose to not sleep in, not to take the day off, but to come and to be here. Not because I'm lonely. (laughs) I am delighted when you make that decision because... Every time we gather, I am committed to 
teach the content of our faith. And every time you come, you are being built up in the content of your faith. Super kind words by this lady right here before we came into the service who said to me, Han, how many weeks did you say you've been here now? Several months. Several months. She's saying, I'm taking things away. I come and, and I get something to take away. I'm growing in my faith. That's why I'm glad you're here. That's why, let me remind you, that's why we do a Thursday service so that those who want to grow in their faith but cannot be here on Sunday morning, whether it's because of work or because of travel, that they go, I want to grow in the content of my faith, and I know if I go to CFC, I will be given a feeding of the content of my faith. And so I don't want to miss and I know everybody goes, oh, I'll watch it on Tuesday. I'll watch it on Wednesday night. Yeah, I know that. That's what my kids always said. And I was like, okay, that's not working. No more. None of this. Uh, I'm not going to show up. I'm going to watch. I know that doesn't happen. Well, that's, it doesn't often happen. And plus, you can't watch and get the community of what we'll talk about in a moment. So am I sincere? Am I genuine? Am I just wasting words when I say thank you for coming? Not at all. Because maturity requires growing in the content of our faith. So thank you. And I want to spur you on to ever-increasing commitment. Not because church attendance saves you. But because we have a faith that has knowledge and understanding. And we are to grow in it. To grow in understanding of it as we pour our lives out into others. Give you a quick example. We're about to make a major turn in Philippians. For two chapters now, he has been, and really almost all three chapters, he has been reflecting about his time with them historically. And now in chapter four, next week, he's going to make a turn and he's going to start, you know, machine gun firing almost instruction, 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 instruction. And he doesn't just uh, lay it out long in a lot of words. It's just boom, 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 boom. And so we're about to take a turn Turn next week. We'll begin what will be 18 weeks in, in First Thess 4 and 5 at looking at what it means to grow in the content of our faith. Here's an example, verse 13, we'll look at in a couple weeks. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. In other words, those who are dead. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are dead so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. There is a content of our faith that makes all the difference about how we think about dying and how we think about those who are in Christ who died. And if we don't know that... We're going to grieve in ways that we do not have to grieve. We're going to lose hope in a way that we don't have to lose hope. That is an example of one of the ways in which we will grow in the content of our faith. I hope you will increasingly be committed to growing in the content of your faith, but not stop there. Because knowledge, if that's all we grow in, is ugly and obnoxious. Well, here's the way the scripture says it. Knowledge puffs up. And that's why I say it's obnoxious and ugly because all of us experience pride and we go, I want to vomit. 
When we experience arrogance, it's just like, ugh. So, if we only have knowledge, it'll make us ugly. What needs to be brought along with that knowledge? Well, what's he, what's he pray next? Verse 12, what's he pray next? I want to be with you to complete what's lacking in your faith and, and what? And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. This is not accidental. This is Paul understanding maturity is growing in truth and growing in love. It's growing in the content of our faith and it's growing in the application of our faith relationally and how we love one another. So, Lord, use me. It's an incredible privilege. Give me more opportunities to help people, to invest my life in people growing in the content of their faith and growing in their love for one another. But then he distinguishes. It's not just general. It's love for, and then he gives a progression of love first for one another. The one another being the body of Christ. Now remember, the physical always is an example of the spiritual. And so when a little kid is just a little kid, who does he love? Himself. That's right. He serves himself. He demands it. He loves himself. If he begins to love anybody beyond himself, who does he love? His mama, and then maybe his dad, and then maybe his, his sisters and brothers, maybe there. So it goes from love of self to love of family. As you and I grow in our faith, what should be happening? We recognize the selfish, self-centered life is not God glorifying, and I'm to fill the earth with the glory of God. It's a love for others that fills the earth with the glory of God. So I begin to love the body. But you know what can happen? We love one another. We love one another. We love one another. We love one another. There is no other than us that we love. Did you see that happen? See, our love for one another is not the ending point. It's a love for one another. And what else does he pray in verse 12? And for, for all people. One of the reasons we get stuck in our analogy, one of the reasons we get stuck at the table is because we get stuck in our love for one another and we don't move to a love for all people. Think about that. Wrestle with that for yourself personally. Ask yourself, is my love for all people increasing? And then notice how verse 12 finishes. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you. This is a powerful, don't miss it, it's a powerful discipleship principle. 
He's going, I want you to love how? As I love you. Jesus said, I want you to love as I have loved you. In other words, Paul is acknowledging that for all of us who seek to be disciple makers, we cannot give away what we do not possess. I think possess has two S's twice, does it not? I cannot give away what I do not possess. In other words, I can't lead others to take steps that I haven't taken. (laughs) I can't have others receive the love of God and faith in Christ until I have received the love of God and placed faith in Christ. I can't help others grow in truth and love unless I am growing in truth and love. And guess what? Don't miss this. I can't help others multiply until I am multiplying. So I have to be growing myself. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have it all together. But discipleship is about helping those that maybe I'm one step ahead and growing in my own faith. It's taking what's been poured into me and pouring it in to others. That's the beauty. I cannot give away what I do not possess. So where does it all begin? It begins with, with Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we would be growing ever increasingly. So I don't know if you think you're at the coffin, the crib, the table, or the stove. Even if you're at the stove, we're growing. Even if we're investing in others, we're growing as others pour into us. So I want to invite the men to come forward and remind us of the love of God poured out for us. Because that's where it all begins. He is the author of our faith. The love of God poured out for us, remembered in sharing the Lord's Supper. These elements that you're going to receive simply a a broken unleavened cracker and a cup of juice for many of you are familiar but if you're not this broken unleavened cracker is a reminder of the body of Christ Jesus who was without sin who became sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ the cup the reminder of the blood of Jesus by which Our sins have been paid for so that we could be made one with God. Now, can can I remind you? Ultimately, these elements remind us of the three greatest words. God loves me. That's what they say. God loves me. Can you say that out loud right now as you're receiving them? God loves me. And maybe with increased clarity, you see it. God loves me that I might love others with the love with which he loved me. 
I'm loved to love. I've been poured into to be poured out. But it begins with the author of our faith, Jesus, who loves us. So as they're past and as you wait, let's reflect on that God loves me. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that he who knew no sin would become sin for us so that we would be made alive in him as we just declared reconciled to him made one with him made alive in him and then Jesus says this I'm the brand, I'm the vine you are the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. We're one. If you will abide in me, if you will remain in me as I promise I am going to remain in you, what will happen? You'll bear much fruit. What's that mean? You'll multiply. If you'll abide in me, you will multiply. In other words, there's a sobering reality here, folks. If I'm not multiplying, I am not abiding. Because if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll be pouring your life into others as I have poured my life into you. So I want to invite you as a disciple of Jesus you're intending to be a disciple who makes a disciple to multiply so not let it stop with you would you stand with me right now I want to pour my life Father we thank you that you have demonstrated your love for us 
that Lord Jesus, you have the author of our faith. That we would be growing in it. And that growing would be seeing others come to faith and grow in their faith. As you've given yourself to me, I will give myself to others. Thank you. Would you take in gratitude for his love for you? Let's declare this together with Matt. from here, having remembered that God has loved you and poured himself out on your behalf, would you very intentionally this week, by the sharing of the gospel, by encouraging others in truth and love, would you pour your life out for the sacrifice and service of their faith? Lord Jesus, we avail ourselves to you. Would you use us to the praise of your glory that this earth would be filled with the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. God bless.